Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm and the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Shirag Akral. Shirag, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Shirag heads the banking and capital markets practice at Cap Gemini Research Institute for Financial Services. He has over 15 years of experience as a strategy and thought leadership professional with in-depth FS experience and a wealth management industry focus. And the reason I reached out to you was you all put together an incredible what you call the World Wealth Report. You just launched the 26th edition. We'd love to hear maybe a little bit about the firm and what you all focus on and the services you provide, your role within the firm, and then we can get into the report itself. But we'd love to start high level, what the firm does and what's your kind of role within the firm. Sure. So Capgemini is, I would say, a massive firm in terms of the number of people we have and the scope we cover. So we work across the industries, whether it be telecom, manufacturing. We are a professional services firm, from consulting down to business services. So we cover the whole spectrum. And I'm part of the financial services division, right? Which looks after the consulting as a technology in the banking and insurance space, to be specific. And one thing that we strongly believe in is leading by understanding the industry and helping clients through by leading by understanding the industry, right? So that is why we have this team that I'm a part of, which is called the Capgemini Research Institute for Financial Services. Every year we produce a variety of thought leadership within FS and then there's the overall Capgemini Research Institute which does it for other, other domains, so to say. And some of the thought leadership that we produce, one of the series that we produce is called the World Report Series. 
right? And these are well-renowned in their respective industries. So, for example, the World Wealth Report by Capgemini is one of the most renowned and sought-after publication in the wealth management industry. We have been doing it for more than 25 years now. And in fact, the 2022 edition was the 26th edition of the report. And the report is known for its market sizing, how, how big is the high net worth population, wealth, and so on and so, so forth, as well as in-depth analysis of the key industry topics. So every year we would start receiving, say, emails or, I mean, communication from the, some of the clients saying that when are you launching it, we, we are looking forward to it. So that's the kind of the stature it has in the industry, I would say, right? And what does the report do? I mean, the report that we work on or the thought leadership that we work on provides a 360 degree view of what's happening in the industry, right? Uh, for the wealth management report in the wealth management ecosystem. So for example, the 2022 report, we had a survey of 2,900 high net worth individuals, which are the end customers of the wealth management ecosystem. We su surveyed more than 50 plus wealth management CMOs because the topic was a bit focused on the marketing officer we also in addition we also surveyed more than 60 cxos or the other cio cto co ceo and so on and more than 350 plus wealth managers right these are the surveys then we spoke directly also whether face to face or through calls to do interviews with the executives across the globe in, on the wealth finance space and what we found i mean three key messages that we found from the report were Embrace the market dynamics and build data-driven digital platforms, uh, ride the wave of emerging customer segments, and engage with clients in alignment with their life stages. Now, I know, I mean, you asked me about just the, what we do, what are the, whatever, I just wanted to mention these three, because these three are the theme we are seeing across industries. And more importantly, I mean, this is, the, these are three areas where I'll be like talking about throughout uh, the discussion we have today. Perfect. So we've all read about how up until recently with the market downturn, but in 2020 and 2021, 2022, massive amounts of wealth was created. Nice. So as we move out of this COVID crisis, how has the ultra high net worth population of wealth grown in 2021? And what is the trends that you're seeing play out in 2022? Right. So you're right in the sense that 2020, 2021, we saw a massive amount of wealth being added or population being ad added. So high net worth and digital population growth in 2021 was around 8%. And the total number of high net worth individuals across the globe is stands at around 22.5 million now. Similar story on the wealth side, the high net worth individual wealth grew by again 8% to reach around 86 trillion globally, right? And when we say, when I say high net worth individuals, I am talking about people with investable assets of 1 million or more. And when I say investable asset, it means basically assets which include the general asset, financial assets you would have minus the consumables, collectibles and your prime residence. We don't count that as investable assets because that's something you're using on a daily basis. Now, if I look at how, why or what are some of the key drivers of this growth, right? It's the who led that, right? Regionally, regionally North America was the leader with a population, high net with an agile population growing by 13% and wealth growing by almost 14%, right? Which is compared to the time pre-COVID, I would say a bit different because Asia Pacific was the one driving the whole growth. Whereas last two years is North America, which has been at the forefront of it. And in fact, after North America, it was Europe, which drew the growth with pop population and wealth growth of close to 7% or 7 plus percent. Whereas Asia Pacific witnessed a major slowdown and it, it is 
the growth levels are currently 4.2% and 5.4%, right? So that is something which we are seeing, which we saw was different during the COVID times. Also, wealth band-wise, the upper wealth bands or the ultra-high net worth individuals, which are 30 million and above, were the ones which kind of drove the growth. But the good news is, or I mean, the news is that lower wealth bands are catching up, right? Uh, which points to the trend of democratization of assets. Uh, so we see accelerated growth among the lower wealth brands, the 1 to 5 million segment, the 5 to 30 million segment, which is the result of all the, I mean, during COVID, people got more access through Robin Hoods of the world to like more opportunity. So that's what we saw. Now, looking forward, I mean, 2022 and beyond 2022, we are already seeing or witnessing a decline in the markets, right? Which is definite. We are still, we'll be analyzing that in our next report. But the initial trends show us that it will be definitely a decline in high net worth wealth and population across the globe, driven mainly by the volatile market that we see. And as of what the analysts are estimating right now in the market, I mean, with respect to the economy, with people talking about the recession, 2023 also looks to be right now a volatile year. So, I mean, that is what we are anticipating as we go forward. It's fascinating. Thank you for breaking that all down for us. As you talked about, building this emotional connection with clients is really seen as essential for the wealth management industry specifically. What are some of the changes that you're observing within the client demographics themselves? Right. So what we see is, I mean, the clients are, I mean, there is two things that is happening. We are looking like different types of segments emerging and the client, the client themselves are expecting different things. So what I mean by that is, right. So wealth management industry itself is going through some major shifts, right. So what we see is there are new age players entering. Right. There is a shifting, as you say, client preferences and there's wealth transfer that is happening. Right. That is also creating the whole that is making the client profile really different. So what do I mean by that? Right. So new age players are coming into the system more because there's a huge gap. Right. What I mean, there is client experience that high net worth individual is getting from the Amazons of the world or even like some of the other industries right, which they expect from which they started expecting from their financial services player and more so with the wealth management players. In fact, a few years back, I was talking to a wealth management CEO and the narrative was, I mean, this is a relationship-based industry. It will never be disrupted by a digital. I mean, we are sitting here like four years later and it is getting disrupted big time. And if if the firms don't get into the bandwagon, I mean, that is once the wealth transfer happens. The new generation that comes in is has been born and brought up on that, right? So they expect that. So yes, it will still remain a relationship-based industry, but it has to be complemented with the right channel. So so that is what we are seeing, right? In terms of what we see specifically from a 2022 perspective, what we saw specifically from a 2022 perspective was the increasing focus on the new investment type of investment, whether it's the ESG investment, right? The sustainability investment, so to say, it is gaining prom- prominence, right? What we saw was, it is expected to reach around $5 trillion in AUM by 2025. So that's a key segment that we are looking at. In fact, 55% of the high net worth individuals that we surveyed, they say that they are investing in these causes, right? Now, the question is whether, not whether this, this is important or not, or not right? We start, asked this question two years back and the importance was high. Last two years, we have been tracking how is it evolving. What is it evolving towards is the key focus of this is evolving towards how we do we measure the impact of this investment, right? 
that is the key thing that the firms are grappling with and that the high net worth managers are, or investors are asking for that how are you measuring it and the wealth management firms are struggling to find a way right only 40% of the wealth managers are finding it like difficult to obtain to obtain the accurate data 50% of the wealth managers lack clarity on sustainable investing returns that how much returns are there right so so how do we report it back to the high net individuals is where the narrative is right now you know, on this front so basically separating the noise from the actual trends so to say right the other thing we saw in 2022 which we expect to go forward is the rise of digital assets i understand there has been drop or like volatility around that also in 2022 but as an asset class it's new and it will it is expected to continue it will not have the same level of valuations that it had like in like say 6 months back or 10 months back but it is something that has that is coming i mean that has become a reality that it is it is the asset class which will be there in fact 71% of the high net worth individuals have invested in digital assets and when we when you look at when you break it down by age high net worth individuals under 40 91% have of them have invested is it a big investment not yet and i mean again it will be one of the asset classes among the various asset classes we have what is key is high net worth individuals will expect their firms to have i mean a strategy as well as avenue to, for them to be able to invest in that right and when i say digital assets the key area where people are investing is mainly around cryptocurrencies whether direct or indirect and the ones emerging are basically the metaverse and the nfts these are the ones which are emerging right now so that's where it is the third one uh, the last one is the family offices right they are gaining a lot of popularity and why is that as i said the wealth management industry is still a relationship based business right and what is family office offering is personalization it's i mean around 23% of the high net wealth individuals already use it and if you look at the higher wealth bands it's 33% of the ultra high net wealth individuals right they're providing services like consolidated services personalized offerings i mean hence and because of the scale they are able to offer scale i mean big enough scale but small enough to be able to offer reduced service cost and they are able to build the right emotional connect right end of the day it's about especially when i have to put my money as yes, beyond what will differentiate one financial advisor from the other is the emotional connect right we we actually in our survey and in our interviews we kind of ask the high net worth individual on three parameters emotion service and value that their firms provide and family offices came high on all three parameters as opposed to a wealth management firm which was mainly high on the service aspect of it right so so that that's the different even the new age players were basically good on service and value but emotional connect was still low to medium right whereas family office was high on these that's why they are gaining a lot of popularity so we we talk about client engagement building these relationships the old right. cliche of its relationship business but that's a complex process right so how can wealth management firms multifamily offices rias how can they manage that effectively and and what's considered best in class process for this space right now yeah i mean so definitely i mean it's it's definitely a complex process right because uh, especially as i said it's a relationship intensive business and at the same time people want the like right digital and hybrid advisory services also right so how do you balance that is the first issue that many of the firms are grappling with right how do we provide the service through which channel do you we provide the service so wealth management has traditionally been product focused right like any other industry in the past right but now these whole 
thing is shifting towards how do we provide the hyper-personalized service through the right channel or through an omni-channel experience, right? So that that is the biggest kind of problem that the firms are grappling with, especially the bigger ones who have legacy issues, right? Whether it's the systems, whether it's the people, whether it's the processes, right? How do we manage that whole mindset shift? How do we manage that whole technology shift, right? Because some of the, while I'm saying that, yes, new age players are disrupting the market, but they have an advantage in the sense that they started fresh, they have the right technology, they had the right mindset from the beginning because they are built on that. So that is what some of the firms are struggling with, right? And one of the big things that's been kind of a misnomer in the industry is that the millennials who have been born and bought up on digital are only looking for digital advice. That's not true, right? Yes, they want the hybrid advice. Less, yes, they want digital channel, but they have complex needs. And whenever it comes to complex needs, they want face-to-face or, I mean, whether it's to video or whether it's to like face-to-face, but they want a personalized person there whom they can like bounce off ideas with, whom they can talk to in terms of their financial needs. So that's the thing, right? So given these concepts, so what are we seeing? So wealth management firms need to have advanced digital capabilities within their kitty to be able to first like deliver this balance, this scale that they have to provide. Then they need to be able to leverage all the data they have on customers to be able to personalize that, right? To how do we push the reporting to them versus how do we do their financial planning? They uh, this person probably likes financial planning through digital means, right? They don't want to interact through messages. They just want a call or they don't like us calling them. They All those small, small integrities is the personalization aspect of it, right? So that can't happen without leveraging the right data, without leveraging technologies such as AI, ML. And then if you have to be agile, you have to utilize cloud and basically be digital, right? So what I'm trying to say is, while wealth management industry still remains a relationship intensive business, digital is a must. It's a hygiene factor. It will become a hygiene factor if it hasn't become yet. And that is what will allow you to deliver personalized capabilities. That is what will allow you to add value, right? Only then you'll be able to free up the advisor time to be able to give that personalized or give that right in-person relationship advice, right? So that is what we are. I mean, that, that is... The problem they are grappling with, that is the kind of solution that firms need to put together, right? Now, we also in the report go forward and talk about who can do that, right? It's it's very difficult to bring together multiple divisions to do that, right? So it requires a C-level commitment to make it happen. And what we have identified in the report is persona of a chief customer officer, right? Who owns this agenda. Now, this chief customer officer can be known by different names within different organizations, whether it's the marketing officer, whether it's the chief experience officer and so on and so forth. The key is this persona, whether it's one CXO, whether two CXOs combined, owns the customer experience outside and also owns coordination of of getting that experience delivered inside. So what I mean by that is if the customer... You understand what the customer wants. That's the job of the persona of that CXO or chief customer uh, officer, as we call them. And then they, they, it's their responsibility to go internally and coordinate with various functions, whether it's the CIO, CTO, and from a technology perspective, whether it's the CMO or other profiles from branding perspective and so on and so forth. It's their kind of responsibility to coordinate internally to deliver to that experience, right? So that is the persona we have identified. And... Hence, they need to build a comprehensive strategy around 
four key areas, uh, which is new business models, inclusive client ecosystem, enhanced advisor capabilities, and providing a one-stop approach to clients, right? So these are the four areas. I, I can expand on them later as we talk about their points. Yeah. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com download. Yeah, I'd like to get to the family offices. Mm-hmm. You referenced that they've grown popularity. I feel like since COVID, everybody now has their own family office. It's become really more of a branding marketing concept and term that people just throw around out there. Yeah. What is driving this desire to have a family office? How real is that movement versus it's just a marketing gimmick used by wealth management firms? Yeah. So from the demand perspective, there's definitely demand. As we, as I said, I mean, based on the survey we saw, people who are actually working with family offices see the difference, see the like difference in terms of the connect, in terms of the services being offered. So they are more, they are becoming, family offices are becoming more in terms of providing the key areas that I talked about, right? Digital assets, sustainability investments, focusing on emerging markets, right? So kind of trying to go and be agile, right? So that's their USP and the emotional connect and agility, right? Because they are small, they can afford that. So that is definitely helping them and it what is helping them further I mean, is they don't have to deal with the bureaucracy that the big firms have to deal with right so they have advantage that way now big firms setting up family offices yeah i mean it's it's a hit and miss again right as long as they can kind of segregate that so to say from their bigger firm and create a, a different entity culture wise like bureaucracy wise we have seen generally this it is more successful as opposed to trying to build it within the same systems, within the same culture, right? Because again, without saying that it's bad or good, the point is it has evolved over years, right? And sometimes you, when when things evolve, you do patch some patchwork, you try to like solve for short term, right? So it piles up, right? So it's difficult to create a new kind of a system within the existing system. So what we have seen is if something has been set up, whether it's family offices or even a new division, if it's set up with that kind of, commitment as well as in a way that it does it does not have to follow the same processes it helps now why have they become popular why why is family office where are they like focusing on where and what are some of the areas if they focus on they have become successful is why well, as i said one is just providing the key new things like digital assets interest in esg right we, we see some of the family offices like uh, say willoughby uh, capital say family all these are providing more and more on digital assets esg right Many family offices are focusing on emerging market, whether it's in China, South Korea, Taiwan, Brazil, India, right? So they are able to tap into opportunities of which are like better in emerging economies as opposed to a developed economy. So that helps whether it's about investing in real estate in some of the these kind of markets. And also, I mean, other thing that family offices are seeing more of, which actually the client should be aware of, it's regulation, right? With regulations, like the U.S. Family Offices Regulation Act of 2021, then there's in Europe, there's MIFID 2, right? Actually, 
while yes on one side these are regulations but they are actually also helping promote the family offices and achieve better transparency through that right so that is something which might help them more especially the firms who or family offices who go beyond just the regulations to achieve that right so point being that yes we see a lot of traction on the family offices yes there is noise around it also but there have been successful models which many of the family offices have been able to achieve from a firm perspective i think what has worked as i said is more approach which will kind of segregate the bureaucracy from setting up a proper like standalone entity so we've heard a lot of the newspaper in the media recently about how these big wirehouses the large wall street wealth management firms are going quote unquote down market to try mm-hmm. to kind of capture the mass affluent high net worth individual space what's driving that and are there actually growth opportunities there within some of these new customer segmentations right definitely i mean there's a lot of consolidation as we are calling it happening right what, what do i mean by consolidation here right so for example city right they are trying to merge their various segments wealth private bank and so on and so forth because of that opportunity that you just talked about right how do we one kind of deliver at scale to various audience while also get like bringing in this mass affluent category into the system and getting them early right because these are your high net individuals of the future so if you get them early they are probably going to stick with you right so that that's the general thinking around it morgan stanley's acquisition of e trade and there are so many examples right now going on and then everybody wants to go downstream right i mean that's what goldman started with through marcus right so so all that is a strategy to capture kind of this segment who, who when they grow will become the mainstream high net individuals and what we see a lot of traction on that front and currently what the some of the successful firms who have been able to kind of tackle this what they are they have been doing is leveraging the technology and the digital transformation to cater to this segment right leveraging ai ml do a digital advisory model hybrid advisory model mainly i mean taking help from some of the new age players so all this collaborations with the betterments of the world the wealth front of the world who have been able to deliver this as a successful model right these firms are either collaborating with some of them the big firms i'm talking about are collaborating with some of them or building in house some of the capabilities through which they can capture the segment through the digital and as they grow they can then move into more i mean traditional advisory model also that's how the firms have been tackling this and most of the firms big firms are on that journey of bringing the mass affluent into the into this whole wealth management spectrum you referenced goldman and marcus they've abandoned that project and walked back their intent there so what are some of the challenges that these groups face when they're trying to capture these you know maybe newer emerging segments of potential customers yeah i i think particularly in the goldman markets it is mainly to do with the profitability and all those aspects but that is one definitely right you i mean to build a profitability is one of the challenge right it's a yes it's a mass affluent segment but this is typically a segment which has different needs and behaviors compared to a high net potential segment right they are more price sensitive they are more while they have uh, what do you say value wise or uh, the like wealth value wealth number wise 
it is lower, but they would expect the similar kind of services that high net worth individuals are, are giving. But firms will not have, don't have endless resources to provide that, right? So the, it comes down to profitability. If you provide the same service to a high net worth individual and charge them a certain point, the mass affluent won't be ready to give you that same price point. So that's the number one challenge, right? The other challenge, as I said, is I mean, since they are, most of the firms have some, what do you say, the legacy technology, which, and as I said, the mass affluence are some, are in segment which most of the firms are trying to service through the digital and the hybrid advisory space, but the firms need to build that. And to build that, it takes a lot of investments and also the fact that they have to build it on top of their existing technology, which is a challenge given the legacy system. So that is another area. Firms are ending up spending a lot of money to upgrade their systems to kind of build that whole hybrid advisory. But the firms we have been working with, they have been telling them this, right? This is, don't see it as a one-time investment for a one-time segment, right? It's an ongoing investment for your future business because if you don't invest in digital today, there are, it is a kind of survival play here, right? Because if we don't offer digital capabilities, it is going to be a problem. Then there's another segment that is million, millennials and the next gen who will also be the high net worth individuals or some of them will be the high net worth individuals of tomorrow, right? They are tech savvy. They expect digital interaction. And this is a segment with low lo loyalty, right? And they are highly concentrated. So firms need to be able to invest into that and uh, kind of take that short term, so to say, a profitability cut to be able to survive and thrive in the long term, right? So that, that's the play there. I mean, as I said, profitability play, legacy systems play, which firms are trying to overcome. But obviously, it's easier said than done. I mean, it's when you have to invest so much, especially when you see a recession upcoming, it is a difficult investment to justify. So along the same lines, we you, we referenced some of these larger publicly traded Wall Street firms coming into the market. There's also been a huge injection of private equity into the space. You mentioned aggregation plays, roll-ups of the RIA, multifamily office world. What right. is private equity doing? How is it impacting the wealth management ecosystem? Right. So uh, I think that is... So as I said, there is a lot of democratization of assets happening in the wealth man wealth management space. So what traditionally the high net worth individuals are looking for, especially the higher wealth bands, you ultra high net worth individuals usually had kind. It serves as a alternative investment, right? So for many of the ultra high net worth individuals, the private equity role. Now what we are seeing is there's much more play at lower wealth bands also, and that's what I meant when I said that. The lower wealth bands, 1 to 5 million, 5 to 30 million are catching up just because of this trend that we see a lot of through various new age players, apps and all people have access to these private deals, right? And we see more and more of it being available. So I'm forgetting the name of the platform, but now that Twitter, for example, is going like private, right? So this platform is working with Twitter to be able to still offer their kind of share, not exactly shares, but still offer to their its customers ability to invest into Twitter, right? So traditionally, now this platform is acting as the big investor in Twitter, and then it can sell fractional. It will be selling fractional shares to like individuals, or so that's the kind of model that is happening, right? So what I'm trying to say is, I mean, with this whole fin uh, well tech players coming into picture, traditional high net worth individuals who didn't use to get access to these private equity deals are getting the kind of access to that. And that's one of the big 
trend we are seeing from a private equity perspective. That's why we hear a lot of private equity deals and all this stuff. I hope that answer. Or did you mean for private equity from a perspective of consolidation and M&A also? Yeah, I've also heard love to hear thoughts on the latter part that you just mm-hmm. referenced, right? For the private equity as an investor coming mm-hmm. into some of these wealth management platforms and RIAs, yeah. driving rolling or driving multiples higher, trying to execute these roll-ups in you know, a rising interest rate environment, especially. Yeah. So again, in line with the consolidation we are seeing in the wealth management industry, right? We talked about wealth management, consolidating with retail banking in some of the firms, wealth management, even kind of wealth, HSBC, for example, buying AXA, insurance play in the Asia Pacific, right? So in general, we are seeing a consolidation in the industry, which means especially some of the, for the private equity firms are also look, looking at getting into this space through the new age players, right? By investing more in that. So that, that's again a trend. Since the consolidation is happening, the private equity is getting into these markets. In fact, during COVID, just before COVID, I mean, we've seen a lot of flow into these new age players because as I said, they are digitally native. They are creating the impact in this industry because around, I think, if I'm not wrong, around 37% of the high net fit individuals already use all new age player as one of their wealth providers, right? So, which is a huge number and this is set to increase, especially as the banks will take a bit of time to get there in terms of the experience that they provide digitally. And hence, we saw a lot of inflows. Though this might, it might slow down as we see more and more consolidation and banks becoming better at providing this whole digital hybrid advisory. In fact, Bank themselves are also buying out some of these smaller players. So you're deep in this space. You've been doing this for a long time. You all put together a tremendous report. What is a trend that is playing out of the wealth management space that nobody's talking about right now? That's not getting enough coverage from the media. I think, again, one of the trends that is, as I said, digital is getting a lot of coverage. But I think the coverage is more on the spectrum that, okay, it's all going to be digital. And it's all about digital, whereas wealth management industry is slightly different than other industries, right? So I want to say it will be hybrid advisory or hybrid model will be much more prominent in this industry than any other industry. And hence, personalization becomes all the more important. And for wealth management industry, it's easier also to deliver that just because the kind of margins involved as well as the revenue involved is different right you are dealing with a different client profile who are price sensitive but not equivalent to a retail investor right so hence a person uh, delivering personalization should be relatively easier it's not i mean the process behind it it is not easier at all but in terms of i'm talking about the business case for it the roi case for it so what i'm trying to say is i mean we, we hear a lot of noise around that yes it should become digital yes it should become digital but we should not forget at the heart of it, this industry is about this whole relationship management. It's about solving complex problems for the clients and providing them the right expertise in terms of tax, in terms of legal, in terms of. So giving them a one-stop shop for these things, right? It's about giving them their experience and this clientele will be happy to pay for the value that they get, right? So it's about providing the value-added service, whether it's through digital, whether it's through personal Otherwise, they don't care. What they care about is that I have a problem. 
and whether my financial advisor, whether my wealth management firm is able to solve that for me, even if it's not in their domain. So when I say one-stop shop, one of the things we have called out in the report is this one-stop shop is beyond FS also. It's FS and non-FS services that many of the firms are offering and they are becoming really popular, right? Whether it's acting as a travel concierge for these and that, that's what family offices generally offer and hence they are popular and hence many firms have started to offer that, right? So that is something that many people are not talking about, right? I mean, either we are dependent on the spectrum that it will not change or we are on the, this end of the spectrum that, oh, it will all become digital. Yes, digital will have to be there. It will, digital will become pervasive, but it will be there to aid the relationship management. Trag, I want to thank you for coming on and the work you're doing at Capgemini is terrific. If people are interested in connecting with you or learning more about the firm and the reports that you all put out, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Right. So first of all, for this report specifically, please go visit worldwealthreport.com, which has all the information and interactive charts, which you can like get on. Uh, you can, whoever is interested in getting to know more about the reports we do, the work we do in the financial services space, please, uh, you can follow me on Chirak Thakral, uh, at the rate Chirak Thakral at Twitter. I keep tweeting about the industry trends, whether they are from Capgemini or not. I, I keep on top of that. As well as I, you can follow me on LinkedIn with the name available there also. And you will see a constant stream of what's happening in the industry. And I promise you, it's not only capture and I stuff. It's what's happening in the industry. That's what I follow. And I try to like put it out there for whoever follows. Atrag, I want to thank you again for coming on. And I look forward to reading the new report when it's ready. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.